Come on, son, 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 son. son. <laughs> on the track. Come on, son. What up, everybody? This is your boy, Ed Lover, once again with another podcast. Come on, son. I'm doing it a little different today, man. I got a lot of stuff on my mind that I want to talk about. But although it, I have, I do have a lot of stuff going on in this crazy-ass brain of mine that I really want to discuss, I'm going to really kind of concentrate on one thing. And the thing that I really want to concentrate on is this Remy Ma and Nicki Minaj beef. I And a little later on in this podcast, I'm going to tell you all how long this beef has been brewing and how far it goes back. But what I really want to talk about in this podcast, and thank you all for joining me, and, and if you subscribe to it on iTunes, I really appreciate it. Big shout out to Cigar International and, and everybody out there, my man at Fire Marshall on uh, Instagram for supplying me with the smokes. I really do appreciate it. Um what I really want to talk about is the fact that when this beef started, they were going back and forth, forth and back, right? Remy shot first. She did a thing. You know, she made Sheetha over the Nas beat um, of Ether that he had got at Jay-Z way back in the days. And then a little later on, maybe a week or two, I'm not exactly sure of the timeline, but um, Nicki Minaj clapped back in a song that she did with Drake and Wayne, and it was called No Frauds. And in that song, she clapped back at Remy about Remy, you know, shooting somebody over $2,000 like Remy did, which landed her in jail and leaving her son and getting locked up and what kind of mother is she and blah, 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 blah. Some people said, okay, Nikki, dope, dope. Nikki, Remy's not on your level. She doesn't deserve for you to clap back her an entire song. You took one verse and you addressed it. Now leave it alone and everything. And I was of the mindset that Nicki Minaj should clap back thoroughly at Nicki, not jump on a song with Wayne and Drake and do a verse, but totally clap back at her. So I did an open letter to Nicki Minaj, which was videotaped in my studio at the Ed Lover Show in Atlanta, Georgia. And we put it up on our Facebook page, you know, the Ed Lover Show Facebook page, and well over 3 million people saw it, and well over 2,000 comments was on there. And uh, the reason why I felt that Nikki should clap back totally at Remy is because Nikki is from Southside Jamaica, Queens. I'm from the north side of Jamaica, Queens. And Jamaica, Queens has a history of MCs that got into beef that clapped back. That's what we did. When we got into beef as a Queens MC, we clapped back thoroughly. Win, lose, draw. We always came back with a record towards the person that we had beef with, okay? Everybody from Queens clapped back. There's a long history of MCs from Queens that are known for clapping back at their rivals. And I'm going to give you an example of it. I'm telling y'all, Queens has a long, long, long history of rap beef, and we've always addressed it properly. We didn't jump on a record with two other superstars and do a verse. It was always handled. So I told Nikki that I feel like you need to beast out or tap out. 
beast out or tap out. Mooney Love, my co-host on the Ed Lover Show in the morning on, on your radio dial 6 a.m., 10 a.m., the greatest morning show in the world, uh, was in behind me yelling, tap out, tap out, tap out. Some of the barbs saw it and they tried to drag Mooney for it or whatever, whatever. But you know what? We didn't even really care about that. So, ladies and gentlemen, let's go through a brief history. So sit back and relax. All right, because I'm about to take you through a history of some of the greatest beefs in the history of Queens and the way things were handled. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, so if you got time, and obviously you do because you're listening to this podcast right now, come on, son. Let's go through this brief history of Queens MCs and their battles, right? KRS-One versus the Juice Crew. Now, you guys know it was no small thing when the Queens-based Juice Crew released The Bridge. You love to hear the story again and again of how it all got started way back when. The monument is right in your hands. I mean, excuse me, the monument is right in your face. Sit and listen for a while to the name of the place, to the bridge, the Queens Bridge. All right. Um, years later, with passing, Shan would say that he was talking about the creation of the Juice Crew. But KRS-One, the mighty, mighty Bronx Born Crew Boogie Down Production, understood the song to mean that hip-hop started there in Queensbridge, which was unacceptable, because, and also because KRS once said that at the time, and when the interview he had with me, at the time that he had tried to get Mr. Magic to listen to the music that he was making with Scott LaRock. Mr. Magic came into the studio with Molly Maul and listened to a song or two that they did, and Mr. Magic was like, nah. That's whack. Mr. Magic, being the uh, leader of the Juice Crew at the time, then turned around and walked out the studio. Molly Maul has told me the same story. Molly said they left him standing in the studio with the Boogie Down production crew, which included said G, who was one of the producers, uh, Scott LaRock, and KRS-One. And they left him in the studio. He turned around and followed Magic out of the studio after an awkward silence. Right? He followed Magic out of the studio but left his floppy disk in the studio with his beats on it. KRS, one of them, took those same beats, the sounds of the beats, and used them to create the bridges over. So they got real upset about that, and they started this rat-a-tat-tat assault over the Queens, the Queens, uh, Queensboro Bridge and the Thorsnick Bridge. South Bronx from BDP, Kill That Noise from MC Shan, and so on and so on. Finally, Boogie Down Productions hit us with the bridges over, largely acknowledged as one of the best career-ending battles ever. Another great career ender, KRS-One literally threw P.M. Dawn off the stage at Manhattan Sound Factory for being too soft. But P.M. Dawn is not from Queens, so I'm not even going to go into that. But he did take the microphone and perform the bridges over, okay? And he threw the entire Queens under the bus with the bridges over. Manhattan keeps on making their bronze crew. You know, Queens keeps faking it. That was our whole borough right there. Now, even though KRS-One against MC Shan is the obvious victor in that battle, Shan still stood up on his own as a Queens MC and battled KRS-One. It was an attack on Roxanne Shante, also, who's from Queensbridge, who absolutely clap back at KRS-One, saying KRS-One sound like a whack-ass radio station and told um, Scott LaRock when T. LaRock said it's yours, he didn't mean his name. 
Scott LaRock, T LaRock. T LaRock came out first. So Queens MCs, no matter how hard it was, no matter how gifted the other MC was that you were going against, always clap back in full. You heard Shan would kill that noise. You heard Roxanne Shante come back at them on her song, which I, I can't remember the name of right now. But, uh, oh, I think it was I'm Shante. Oh, my God, what's the name of that song? But she clapped back at him. That's, that's my point. As an MC, she clapped back at KRS-One for saying Roxanne Shante is only good for steady fucking. That's what we do. That's why I got at Nicki Minaj about being on that song with Drake and Lil Wayne. That's not the way we clap back. Now let's go on to some more. And also, as a note to that story, I once interviewed Big Daddy Kane, who was part of the Juice Crew. And I asked Big Daddy Kane, why didn't you help Shan out in this beef? And he told me that the reason why he didn't jump into the beef and help Shan out at the time is because Shan used to refer to Big Daddy Kane as that nigga. Like, Shan was on top of the world and didn't really like Kane when Kane got in the Juice Crew. and was like, oh, y'all taking that nigga? Oh, that nigga's coming with us? Oh, that nigga this and that nigga that? And at one time, Mr. Magic had told Kane, uh, you're not really Juice Crew yet. So when Shan was getting his ass handed to him by KRS One, Mr. Magic came to Big Daddy Kane and said, "Listen, man, I'm gonna need you to put an end to this. I'm gonna need you to jump into this thing and and, and use your lyrical ability to smash KRS One." Big Daddy Kane told me him and and, and KRS One were friends, like really close friends. Like KRS One helped him move out of his apartment that he was living in to his basement apartment that he ended up getting. KRS-One and Miss Melody helped him move, so he didn't feel comfortable attacking his friend, number one. Number two, Shan had been disrespectful to him so much. And number three, Mr. Magic had told him he wasn't Juice Crew yet. So he said he looked at Mr. Magic and was like, oh, so now all of a sudden I'm Juice Crew now? When you told me I wasn't Juice Crew yet? So he didn't, he didn't even get into that beef. He didn't get into that beef. But the point being is that Roxanne Shante and MC Shan stood up Stood up in the legacy of all Queens MCs and fought their battle. Let's get on to KRS-One versus Run DMC. I did a commercial with Run. When I did the commercial with Run, it was for a Beats streaming service that we did. And after that, Beats sold to Apple. And y'all know the history. Dre made over $700 million off the deal. Jimmy Iovine made a lot of money, right? I asked Run... Why did you ever answer KRS-One? If you listen to KRS-One's rhymes, KRS-One said, kings lose crowns and teachers stay intelligent. Talking silly stuff on the mic is so irrelevant, especially when you're not college material. Wake up every morning to your Lucky Charms cereal. Right? KRS-One has a college degree. Blastmaster, you know, no, Scott LaRock has a college degree, Blastmaster KRS writes poetry, something like that. But that King's Lose Crown line was directed straight at Run DMC because they was calling themselves the Kings at the time. And DMC had said on Sucker MCs, my name is DMC. I went to St. John's University. So he was shooting at them. I asked Run, why didn't y'all clap back at KRS One? And Run said, we didn't clap back at KRS-One because he was doing clubs and we were doing stadiums. And if I had said something about KRS-One, I'm putting too much light on KRS-One when we were the number one rap group 
in the world. So why should I bring KRS-One up to my level? That's what he said. And then he said, and on the other side of that, the dude was just straight up nice. And we really didn't want to get into nothing serious with him like that. All right? He said everybody was trying to come at us. Everybody. And DMC says that's why on Raising Hell we went ballistic to let motherfuckers know you got rhymes and lyrics, but you ain't taking shit from us. When wrote you be illin', that was to show this ain't no joke, that we run this whole shit. So there was a little bit of brewing between KRS-One and Run DMC, but Run DMC didn't feel the need at the time to even address that little line that KRS-One said. But I am quite sure, and you can quote me on this, if KRS-One had wrote an entire record dissing Run DMC, I asked Run, would you have answered? He said, absolutely, without the shadow of a doubt. We saw that little underlying jab that he tried to throw, and we ignored it. But had he gone in the way he tried to go in on the Juice Crew, and ladies and gentlemen, we're talking about 1984, 85, maybe 86, he said we'd have definitely went to the studio and handed KRS-One his ass. That's just something that never happened. Now let's fast forward a little bit, all right? LL Cool J and Kumo D. LL Cool J and, and Ice-T. LL Cool J and MC Hammer. Who the hell didn't LL Cool J battle? At the time, LL Cool J was 16 years old when he came out with radio. That was his first album. My radio, believe me, I like it loud and all that. You know, walking down the street to the hip-hop beat while my JVC vibrates the concrete. I'm sorry if you can't understand, but I need a radio inside my hand. Don't mean to offend other citizens, but I kick my volume way past 10. Remember when LL came out with that? That was his first album. Second album was called Bigger and Deffer, and LL was calling himself the greatest of all time. On the other side of that was a young man by the name of Kumo D. Mohandas Duiz. Kumo D had been part of the 80s, early 80s hip-hop, Treacherous 3. Kumo D was now out on his own. Everybody thought that Kumo D could rhyme his ass off but couldn't make a decent record. Before that, they had like Feel the Heartbeat and stuff like that. The Treacherous 3 had good records. But Kumo D had stepped off from the Treacherous 3 and was really ready to make his own name as a rap artist, as a solo rap artist. He heard LL talking about he was the greatest of all time at 16, and Modi took offense to that. He took offense to that. In 1987, off his album, he released a single called How You Like Me Now. All right? And in that song, he felt like LL said that he was the greatest rapper of all time, like I said, that he was young and he wasn't paying respect or homage to his rap elders. All right? And he claimed LL stole his whole rap style. Kumo D went on to say, I'm bigger and better. Forget about Defa. Every time I rock the mic, I left her. Staining your brain that will remain stuck to the back of your brain till you see me again. He said, how do you think it feels to see another MC get paid using my rap style when I'm playing the background meanwhile? I ain't with that. You can forget that. You took my rhymes. I'm taking it back, coming back like Return of the Jedi. Sucker MCs in the place that said I can only rock rhymes and only rock crowds, but never rock records. How you like me now? That I'm bigger and better. Forget about Defa. 
was absolutely a reference to LL Cool J's second album, Bigger and Deafer. And if you go back and look at Kumo D's album cover, he's standing in front of a white Jeep. He got white leather on. He got his collar up. And under that Jeep on the front wheel is LL's Red Kango. They put it underneath. They took another, a different Red Kango, of course, but put it underneath the uh, tire of the Jeep to, you know, to make us think that, look, this is Mo D rolling over LL. And, of course, the beef was on. So LL immediately, like a true great Queens MC, clapped back with Jack the Ripper with indirect shots at MC Shan, another Queens native, and Kumo D. How you like me now, punk? You living foul. Kids what my name is. Kills what my aim is. A washed up rapper needs a washed up name. My name is Jack the Ripper. All right? He shot at him a little bit of jingling babies. Then Modi shot back with Let's Go. And Modi specifically named LL. With wordplay on the LL. Trying to be me. Now, LL stands for lower, level, lack, luster, last, least, limp, lover, lousy, name, latent, lethargic, lazy, lemon, little, logic, lucky, leech, liver, lip, laborious, louse on the loser's lips, living, limbo, lyrical, lapse, low life with the loud raps, boy. This was immediately followed by the following lines, making fun of LL's 1985 hit, Rock the Bells. Now look what you done did. Just using your name, I took those L's, hung them on your head, and rocked your bells. More battle records went back and forth for years. But in conclusion, Modi always challenged LL in the rap battle to prove he was better. And in conclusion, they never really got face-to-face in battle, and they squashed their beef over a time period. But that's what we did. In Queens, some people say Modi won that beef. Some people say LL won that beef. But they stood up. L stood up against Modi from Harlem as a Queens MC. He stood up and rocked and clapped back. Beast mode. Beast out. How you like me now? I'm getting busier. A double platinum. I'm watching you get dizzier. How you like me now? A play on Modi's record. That's what us Queens MCs did, man. Us cats from Queens, when we had battles, the MCs from Queens always stood up and we always battled. Let's move on to LL Cool J and Ice-T. Y'all remember that one? The trouble between L and and Ice-T, when Ice-T released I'm Your Pusher, and on the middle of the song, he's talking to people about pushing records instead of pushing drugs, right? He offers a hip-hop junkie some LL Cool J and is told by the junkie, ah, nah, you can keep that. LL responded to the break of dawn. To the break of dawn. He crushed Modi, Hammer, and Ice-T's girl. Remember that? On the break of dawn? He called Ice-T a hip-hop raccoon and told him a brother with a perm deserves to get burned. Back and forth, forth and back. But what did LL do? LL stood up and battled. The battle was on. Back and forth and forth and back. LL being from Queens knew that as an MC, didn't back down. Eric being Rakim and EPMD. 
Rakim was part of Eric B. and Rakim. All right. EPMD said on your customer that at the time of the feud, he and Rakim lived, they lived two towns apart from one another. EPMD's your customer. People from Rakim's town took the song. It's like a dig em smack line as a response to Rakim's. You could get a smack for this. On I Ain't No Joke, but Eric Sermon said, yo, he, I, 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 I didn't have anything to do with that. It wasn't really like that for Rakim, but Eric B. and Rakim was a, was a group. Eric B. is from Queens. Rakim is from two towns over from Eric Sermon. Eric clap, Ra clap, Eric clap, Ra clap, Eric clap, Ra clap, Eric B. clap. It's crazy. And it almost turned violent. It really almost turned violent because Rakim was very, very, very deep. For real. Remember Rakim said, smack me and I'll smack you. Oh, no, it, it's like a dig em smack. That was EPMD. You smack me and I'll smack you back. Remember that? And it almost went too far. But the point is, Eric B. made sure that that was done. Because if you test the Queen's MC or Queen's DJ or Queen's producer, we are going to clap back. It's going to happen all the time. Slick Rick and Dougie Fresh. Salt and Pepper. The Salt and Pepper MCs. Two MCs from Queen's, New York. Their first song was an answer record to Dougie Fresh and Slick Rick's The Show. They did The Showstopper. Please, please, please stop. Is it real? The first thought Pepper said was, what? We going up against Dougie Fresh and Slick Rick? Are we crazy? They were in their face, females. Speak their mind, nothing to mess with. They went head on to Slick Rick and Dougie Fresh, who had The Show, one of the biggest records in the history of hip-hop. Took it right at them. If you don't believe me, go back and listen to Salt and Peppers. They were called the Salt and Pepper MCs at the time because one was dark and one was light. They weren't called Salt and Pepper yet. They were called the Salt and Pepper MCs. They adopted Salt and Pepper after that record garnered a lot of attention. But you can hear them calling each other Sandy and Cheryl in the record. Go back and listen to that record. Do your hip-hop history, okay? I once interviewed Dougie Fresh. Dougie, why y'all didn't clap back at Salt and Pepper? He said, I was ready to clap back at Salt and Pepper, but I talked to Rick about it. And Rick was like, nah, Doug, they girls. We're going to look stupid if we clap back at them. If we go hard at them, we're going to look stupid. Plus, they kind of cute. So Rick liked them and didn't want to go back at them. So Doug acquiesced to what Rick wanted, and he didn't go at them. But the point being here is that Salt and Pepper started it, and they're from Queens. There was never a back and forth between Salt and Pepper, Dougie Fresh, and Slick Rick, but Salt and Pepper started to be, they came out the gate beefing Queens MCs. Queens MCs, y'all. All right? 50 Cent, Ja Rule. One of the most infamous Queens beefs of all time. What happened was, from what I understand, Ja Rule got robbed. Fifth said he was there with the guy. He know the guy that robbed Ja Rule. Ja took offense to Fifth because he was very familiar with who 50 was and felt like 50 should have intervened in some way. 50 was like, dude, it's from my hood. I'm not getting in that. I didn't rob him. 
there's a f- alleged physical altercation in the studio where they had some little beef while 50 was doing his mixtape thing. So 50 decided to go heavy on John, real crazy, when he started doing the mixtapes, including the song Life on the Line, right? Uh, and all the rest of the stuff that he, he put out. Allegedly, 50 was shot nine times because of his beef with Ja Rule. All right? I know what happened. I'm not at liberty right now to tell you what happened. But one day when I put my book out, I will explain the whole reason why that happened. And everybody from Queens and everybody in the hood knows who was behind 50 Cent getting shot nine times. After 50 got shot nine times, he went in. He went in. He kept his damn foot on Ja Rule's neck every single chance that he got. On his first album, he going at him. Right? You can hear it. On the mixtapes, he used to go at Ja so hard. I smell pussy. Is that you, Irv? I smell pussy. Is that you, Ja? Y'all remember that? Fifth is from Queens. Ja is from Queens. And the feud was beyond records. Beyond records, because 50 Cent was shot nine times as a result of this feud. Okay? Beyond records, ladies and gentlemen. He kept his, this is real street fucking beef. Kept his foot on Ja Rule's neck. But did Ja Rule back down? You can say what you want to say about Ja Rule. You can say 50 ended his career. You can say whatever. Murder, Inc. was never the same again. You can say whatever. But you got to give Ja Rule his props for never backing down from 50 Cent. Blood in my eye, clap back. We're going to clap back. I'm from New York. Your pussy monologues, the vagina rewinded, Fat Joe and Jadakiss was on there. And the fifth started going at Fat Joe and Jadakiss because they did a record with Ja Rule. I once asked, I was in the video. I asked fifth, yo, you going to hate me too? I'm in the video. That's my boy. Nah, you OG Bobby Johnson. I can't go at you like that. One of the most famous beats are from between two Queens MCs, and neither one of them wanted to back down. To this day, they don't fuck with each other. To this day, 2017, they don't fuck with each other. I once asked 50, I was like, yo, would you ever like just put it all to the side and just you and Rule get on and do a record together? I think that would be incredible. I think people would be surprised by it. It would be never. Ever, 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 ever will I ever fuck with Ja Rule, Irv Gotti, Murder, Inc., any of them niggas. And Ja Rule feels the same way. Even though Ja Rule has passed it, it's not something that Ja Rule dwells on in his career. His career is still going strong. You can see catch Ja Rule on the road doing shows all over the place, and especially in Europe where he commands top dollar because Ja Rule sold a lot of fucking records. And if you really look at the charts, if you go back and do your history, Ja Rule was the number one artist on Def Jam for a long time. And cumulatively, he sold more records than 50 Cent. Go back in the well... Nah, I think Fifth got him. I think Fifth got a slight edge on him. I may be wrong with that, but I'll have to look it up myself. But the point is, here's two MCs from Queens going at each other's throats, and nobody is backing down, and it still goes on today. Right? Ja Rule versus 50 Cent. Big, gigantic, stupid, retarded beef. Mob Deep versus Jay-Z. A lot of media outlets say that the Jay-Z Mob Deep, Mob Deep beef started when Prodigy heard money cash holes. Jay said it's like New York's been soft 
Ever since Snoop came through and crushed the buildings, I'm trying to restore the feeling. Prodigy said in several interviews that he was offended by the line because Jay-Z was quiet during the whole East Coast, West Coast shit, and it was only until it was over that he came out and talked about it. Well, the Queen's duo's fourth album, Murder Music, Jay-Z felt some kind of way about some bars and did exactly what he does best. Yes, the jam, the really super damaging 2001 Hot 97 Summer Jam performance featuring Hove Rhyme and Takeover with visuals of Prodigy dressed as Michael Jackson projected on a big screen for the world to see. Then there was the Takeover itself and the We Don't Believe You, You Need More People line etched into the hip-hop history. And really, Mob Deep had a difficult time recovering from the aftermath, but they did not back down. Prodigy clapped back on several songs. Jay clapped back. Back and forth, forth and back. There was nobody fucking back down. And from the takeover came that infamous line that probably started one of the most infamous beefs. Well, it didn't probably. It did start one of the most infamous beefs of all time. Jay-Z versus Queensbred Nasir Aludara Jones. Ask Nas, he don't want it with Hove. No! When we heard that, we was like, did he just go at Nas? Nas got to come back at Sun. Got to. Now, here's where that came from. That came from a lot of undercurrent who's the king of New York shit, Jay-Z, Biggie, or Nas. It was always Jay-Z, Biggie, or Nas. Then there was a few lines thrown out by Memph Bleak that Nas got offended by. There's a few shots at Bleak and Jay that Jay and Bleak got offended by. There's a few shots at Jay that Jay got from Nas that Jay got offended by and vice versa. Finally, enough is enough. Ask Nas he don't want it with Hove. Couple of months later, Ether comes out. Some people say Jay won. Some people say Nas won. I know y'all want my opinion. Nas won that battle. Okay, because he made Jay get into his feelings. And when he came out with Super Ugly and Jay don't, Jay don't come at you from feelings. Jay comes at you from logic, right? You saw he waited for a clap back at, at Cam and him, but he did. And he waited. And he did a better job when he waited instead of getting to his emotions about you know what, did you know who would you, that shit was, you don't talk about, you know, baby mamas and all of that shit. That shit is weak, okay? So in my opinion, Nas won that battle. And Jay knows that I feel like Nas won that battle. And it ain't because I'm from Queens. It's just I felt Ether just summed up everything that a lot of people have been saying about Jay-Z up until that point. Okay? So that being said, Nas didn't back down. Prodigy and Mob Deep didn't back down. 50 didn't back down. Ja Rule didn't back down. Salt and Pepper didn't back down. Even when 50 came with back down against Ja Rule and had Alex Thomas, the comedian, acting like he was gay. I know y'all ain't talking about Jeffrey on the end of the song. Rule still did not back down. There was no fucking backing down. Juice Crew didn't back down. Shantae didn't back down. Shan didn't back down. Run DMC ignored KRS-One. They didn't back down. LL didn't back down against Modi or Ice-T or Hammer. When he said my old gym teacher ain't supposed to rap. Didn't back down. Remember, Hammer was trying to go at running them, but running them was so big, they ignored Hammer. Ain't, ain't nobody talking about that. So, 
All of that stuff being said, give you a brief history on Queens MCs, and I probably left out a few epic battles that I can't remember right now. Give you that brief history on Queens MCs, Eric B. and Rakim. Even though Rakim is from Long Island, Eric B.'s from Queens. No back down against EPMD. Let's get to the Nicki Minaj, Remy Ma beef and why I think it's important, all right, from Nicki to either beast out or tap out because of that long-ass history of MCs from Queens, New York. Nicki is from Southside, Jamaica, Queens. Queens, New York MCs don't fucking back down, okay? We may shoot some subliminals. We may ignore you, but we are not fucking going to back down once super shots are fired. Subliminals is one thing, but once you go all out against a Queens MC, they're not going to back down, okay? Nicki Minaj's 2007 mixtape contained a freestyle dub, Dirty Money, which used the beat from Terror Squad's Yeah, 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 featuring Remy Ma. If you go into the archives, you'll find that she fired the first shot against her senior Remy Ma. Tell that bitch with the crown to run it like Chris Brown. She won three rounds. I'm going to need 100 thou. Oh, y'all ain't know? Bet y'all bitches know now. Now, at this point, Remy was well on her way to establish herself as one of the queens of hip-hop. And, and don't get me wrong. Remy is fucking nice. All right? During the interview from jail in 2010, Remy reflect on how she ran up on Nikki about a line at a party. Going on to say that she still thinks it was a stab of her adding, that's what you doing, rap, and I'm cool with all of that. So she ran up on her. She said in the sheet, though, remember when I ran up on you? After being released from prison and serving her six-year sentence, Remy made a press run where a private conversation she had with Nicki Minaj found its way into the interview. Speaking with New York's Hot 97, she said that she felt Nicki's a wonderful woman. She spoke very respectfully of Nicki and success is alike. She also shared why she never come at her crazy, citing that she's a very grown woman and Minaj extended it olive branch of sorts to her, similar to how she would have if the situations were reversed, if Nikki was locked up and Remy was out. She said she wouldn't want to tear into someone who was doing exactly what she's supposed to be doing, going on to explain that she's proud of how far Queen's bred Nicki Minaj has come in her career and how, talents have, uh, how far the talents have taken her. There was all love. Still in 2000, all right, 14. Remy went off on Minaj's platinum single, Over. The track steered clear of any subliminal dishes, none of that. 2015, Remy gets fired up on remix of Truffle Butter. People keep saying, Rem, you need to drop a record. I'm like, in a minute, let me body bitches records. Then she made a sub to Minaj's music, screwing towards mainstream pop music with, yeah, for the millions, I will kill these pop holes. Ain't no one in these streets like me and potholes. Now, hopping on the DJ Mustard's track alongside Jeremiah, Nicki Minaj went on to serve as another reminder of her reign in rap. All bitches begging me to pass the baton. All these bitches trying to fit my crown and my wand. Bitches still my sons. Get your sonogram on. Remy released Money Showers with Fat Joe. All right, right before Plateau Plomo. All right, and Money Showers, she said, bitch claiming she the queen. What? Not Harley. Who the fuck gave you your crown, bitch? Steve Harvey? Yup, that's a bar. Nikki clapped back with Black Barbies. All right? 
Some people thought she was talking about Remy. All right, she said, oh, shit, picked up my phone because I had to call bullshit. These bitches having nightmares on my new shit. These bitches pussy, and they don't ever do shit. Remy went up the Funkmaster Flex and fired a perceived shot at Nikki during Flex's reoccurring freestyle series. She fired many, many, many. Over Nas's New York state of mind, she said, see your whole style bitten. Pieces ain't hinting. When I said it was written, I was talking about y'all bitches. Y'all trying to play chess, but why would I play you when I can knock the whole fucking board off the table? All this talk about me and your son, I'm hot and your whole world revolve around me, bitch. I am the son. Nikki got on Gucci Man's Make Love in 2017 this year, I. And started spitting. She ain't eating, but I swear she got some bum-ass taste. Text a man like, dog, how that bum-ass taste? Pay your rent and then stay your bum in your bum-ass place. Ooh, oh, you the Q-U-E-E, the queen of this here. One platinum plaque album flop, bitch, where? Hitting that Remy Ma's new project with Fat Joe doesn't necessarily fly off the shelves. She made one more point. You see, silly rabbit, to be the queen of rap, you got to sell records. You got to get plaques. And then Remy dropped Sheetha dissing Nikki using Nas's Ether beat. And then Remy unleashed another one called Another One. And then Nikki released the radio hit Clap Back, No Frauds with uh, the rest of them. But you should have made a whole record, Nikki. If you're the queen, and you got skills. You don't do a verse. This is just my opinion. I still love you. You're still my sister from Southside. But one verse is not going to suffice it when this woman has done two records towards you. This is hip-hop. Battles have been going on for years and years and years. You see all of those Queens MCs that I named that clapped back and did not back down. If you're going to ignore her, you should have ignored her. But beast out or fucking tap out. Southside Jamaica Queens, being a Queens MC means something. It means a lot to all of us because we were always the underdog in New York City. Queens and Long Island, my Long Island people, you know this too. They used to laugh at us, say that we lived out in the desert. Run DMC came and changed the whole game, right? Was the greatest hip hop group of their time. LL changed the fucking game. Ja Rule changed the game. Nods changed the game. Juice Crew, Roxanne Shantae, Molly Maul changed the game. You came into a time when there really wasn't no other female MCs doing it, like on your level. All right, Kim, Foxy, Remy, Light, Latifah, Moni, all the way back to Sha Rock, all the way back to Roxanne Shantae from Queens, Salt and Pepper from Queens. Open the door for you to shine. We are queens bred, born, and raised. If somebody clap at us, we clap back. So, Nikki, be stout on Remy or tap out. But one verse is not going to suffice it, my sister. We don't back down. Fuck that. We ignore or we clap back fully. Full arsenal, all your bullets, one record, you by yourself, no Wayne, no Drake, clap back at her, and then leave it alone. Because that's what fucking Queens MCs do. That's what we do. 
That's my opinion on it. Thank y'all for listening to the Come On Son, the podcast. I'm Ed Lover. As usual, keep God first. Everything else will fall into place. I will talk at you, with you, to you, and about your ass next week. Be good if you can't be good. Be careful. If you can't be careful, teach your baby how to rap and how to clap back. Till the next time we ride together, slide together, laugh out loud together, this is your boy Ed Lover saying thank y'all for tuning me in and not tuning me out. I give you the good shit, never the bullshit. Come on, son. It's the podcast. I'm out. This episode of Come On, Son, the podcast is produced and engineered by co-executive producers Kimana Paulus and Krista Hayes. Recorded at Mean Street Studios in downtown Atlanta, Georgia, this is an official Loudspeakers Network podcast.